Tell Me If You Can podcast. In today's episode, we hear from Rayanti, who shares about moving away to New York City to carve her way into the performing arts industry. She shares about the ups and downs of this journey and the people that supported her along the way, and how she gives back to the theater community. Let's take a listen to Rayanti's story. and welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, what you do, where you're from, where you live? Sure. Um, So I am originally from Akron, Ohio, and I moved to Brooklyn, New York in 2007. And I have been acting since I was in high school, and uh, I really love the performing arts and... um, being in New York is it's been a, a privilege. Awesome. So what was your childhood like in Ohio and what brought you to New York? Ooh, that's a hard question. So my childhood in Ohio was off and on very happy. Um, I say that to say, you know, we we're very happy. We had everything on a table, like food, we had clothing, we had shelter, but there were times where, you know, we were going through. Um, Because I grew up with a single parent, my mother, it was just me, her, and my brother most of the time. Um, Of course, family helped out and everything whenever they could, but we pretty much grew up in poverty. Um, And uh, I really loved my childhood because there were certain aspects of it that I didn't, I wasn't, um, you know, up with meaning like, you know, like the, the bills and, and having to move around. I didn't understand that at the time, but, um, and the, the closeness of our family and how that affected everything was, was, you know, made it very happy. And I was just, I don't know. I was just very um, unaware of the problems that we had. Uh, now, what grew, what drew me to New York was to go to acting school because I was going to be a pediatrician. So I, <laughs> I, you know, was looking into those programs to have a stable career. But um, it was actually my grandma who convinced me to go into the performing arts. And that's why I went to New York. That is so amazing that you had someone in your corner like that, that saw that you had that passion. Um, so you went, you took your, your leap of faith and you went to New York to pursue performance, performance and your grandma supported you, but did everybody in your family, what did your mom think of this? Especially given you didn't have the most um, money as a family and your goal of going into medicine was obviously more lucrative than the performance industry tends to be or tends to be portrayed? Uh, Yeah, so my grandma, yes, she was 100% in my corner. Um, I will say this, that high school also, I went to a private high school. I got a scholarship to go there right after middle school. And, you know, in Akron, the public school system is not the best. I mean, it depends on, you know, where you live and and things like that, as you could tell. But um, from where we were living at, it wasn't the best option for me to go to public school. And since I then got into private school, that's where the whole, like, you know, my family really coming in and pitching in, especially my grandmother, to make sure that I had the best education because high school also cost as well, cost as much as um, the university that's here. So, Mm. yeah. So (laughs) me then going to a very expensive school, you know, my grandmother, she helped me as much as she could. My mother was definitely like, if this is something you are going to do, you have got to have a degree to back it up. Um, that was her only stipulation that if we were going to, you know, send me off to a school that, you know, is accredited, but it's not, it's a conservatory. So it's more of like, you just do do singing, acting, dancing, 
the whole nine yards. You don't have really much like a, a the core classes, like, you know, math, English, and all those things, although they're incorporated into mm-hmm. the subjects um, or the courses that you do, it's not a regular college. So that meant we didn't have the same amount of um, financial aid, nor did we, nor did every scholarship go there or every grant go there. Mm. So, and that school at the time was probably about $40,000 um, a year. So it was extremely um, taxing on my family to send me there. Um, but my mother said, I see what you are capable of. And I see the the joy that comes from you when you're on stage that if this is something you're going to do, as long as you get your degree, I am okay. Um, she was just more uh, concerned about, you know, me going to a place where I have no family and no help and I don't have anything to fall back on um, just in case it doesn't work out. That's, that was her main, main concern. Now for the rest of my family, like my, like my aunts and uncles and everything, I think my uncles were pretty okay with it. Um, you know, a few of them had just like, um, reservations, you know, in a black family, we really don't go after, or in my black family, I would say in my, um, circle, we really didn't go after what we wanted. We more, we were more likely to just settle and make sure that we were okay. Um, and just disregard all the things that made us happy. Not saying that, you know, settling is a non-happy thing, but, you know, I was always different growing up anyway, where I always did things that made me happy. When I had to do things that didn't make me happy, I just didn't like it. Um, and so I was, I was very different that way growing up. So when it was a decision, you know, my other family members, they were very like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Um, Because, you know, you don't have a meal plan. Like, how are you going to live? New York is really expensive. I hear it's, you know, none of us live there. So they heard, you know, they heard very bad stories about being in New York and, and, you know, walking by yourself. My aunt was like, I have a, I have some mace for you if you need it. (laughs) They were very much like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? But um, at that time, especially being 17, because I graduated when I was 17, that um, I was like, no, I just want to do it. I I don't even care what happens. Like, I just want to do this. And that's how it ended up being me going to New York. And so did you fulfill your mom's wish and pursue a degree? And what was the degree? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm laughing because I did not get my bachelor's. Uh, the school was a conservatory. And at the time, um, they ha- they only have two campuses. They have a campus in New York and they have a campus in LA. And the only... Um, they didn't have a four-year degree. Uh, yes, I picked that school. I don't even know why. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't have a four-year degree. So I had to just do the two-year program, which is, it's not even an associate's, but uh, they call it a certificate. I wish they would call it an associate's, but I think it's the way the school is accredited. So they call it a certificate in professional performance. Okay. My mom was like, okay, that's not what I was asking, but you know, this is what you want to do and you got a scholarship to go here. Okay. That's fine. Um, so, but within my like last semester in school, they were like, Hey, you know, we have a four-year program now. And I was like, Oh my God, mom, guess what happened? You know, my school has a four-year degree now. And then she was like, Oh, that's awesome. And then I got the, like the breakdown of what needs to happen. And they said, but it's only at the LA campus. And I go, 
what? <laughs> you mean I would have to move to LA just to finish up the last two years of my degree? It didn't make any sense. So I decided to just graduate that school. Oh my gosh. And see about transferring my credits to a different college. Well, that was a hassle because my, like I said, my school is so different. Um, and because scholarships and, and grants and stuff weren't taken there, that means that, you know, they are accredited, of course, but it's like a different accreditation that not every school takes their credits. So although when I graduated mm-hmm. school, I could go to the to another college that was um, partnered with them, um, but they only took a certain amount. So I, I don't like college for this reason, but um, <laughs> so I had a certain amount of credits from when I graduated. Technically, if I had transferred over to that school that was partnered with them and they took all the credits, I would only have two years to go. But because they didn't take all the credits, I had like two and a half, almost three years to go. And that to me didn't make any sense. So I decided to put school on the back burner, but I did take a couple of college at college courses at another school. Um, and then I went to, uh, which that could be another cover, <laughs> another like question, but I did end up having to come back to, to um, Ohio for a while uh, after that, uh, because, you know, just things happening. Um, which I mean, I'm totally okay to elaborate about. Um, yeah, but, uh, (laughs) it just, I took courses and everything, but yeah, I just didn't actually get a degree degree. I do have a certificate, but I don't have a degree. (laughs) I think a lot of people that go to those kinds of schools, they could probably relate. And so Along your path, you go to New York, you study. And so if you don't mind, what did bring you back to Ohio? So I felt like, although I did very well in my in my studies at my first college, I mean, I graduated with almost a 4.0. I was very hardworking because I knew that this was a very expensive school and I did not want to fail. Um growing up school was not always my favorite thing to do um i didn't excel in school meaning i wasn't like a valedictorian or salutary i don't even know what they call it salad what they call thank you salutatory <laughs> like i was not very smart um as far as book smarts are concerned um but i was smart I don't know what it was um, because I did get into high school by my academics. I think once high school started, school started to, my school enthusiasm started to go down. It was a, a school that only allowed you to stay in one area, meaning they had three different categories based off of your scores that you would get tested into. So there was the highest, um, which is like all the AP classes and all the book smart people. Then there was the college prep, which was like the middle of the road. And then there was like the, uh, the rudimentary, like a basic, you know, classes, um, which I was, hindsight is 2020 because looking at it now, I'm glad that they had a spot for people who weren't academically there. Um, You know, they didn't just put that only, you know, people who were academically smart could go to this, to this school, but I digress. They, um, I was always middle of the road. You could test out of it, but it was really difficult. I think that the the what they teach you in public school 
was nothing compared to what they taught you at a private school. Mm. And um, yeah, so I was always middle of the road. I always got B's and C's. I mean, yes, I got A's sometimes, but I was always middle of the road. So when I got to college and I knew how expensive it was, I literally, I don't know how many times I went without sleep. Because I was like, I have to get this right. I have to do this. I have to mm. do that. And on top of that, I am a black person. Like, I cannot fail. So, yes, I did graduate with a very high GPA. But once I got out of that school and I started to audition, I realized they did not prepare me for having to work and having to audition. Um, nor yes. did they know what to do with me as a black plus size woman. Um, you know, my school was always about types, like what you could do, what, what yourself can be cast as um, just by looking at you. And um, I remember one time my teacher came up to me. Um, they had given me... I don't know if you know dream girls yes okay so they we decided he decided that we had enough people of color to do dream girls and he had been wanting to do it for years but it, in that school yes it was predominantly white at the time I don't know about now because I'm not in that school but um he really wanted to do dream girls and he wanted to do it's all over it's the song where Effie ends up getting kicked out of the group and it's right before, and I'm telling you. So he really wanted to do this song, and we had enough people of color. Well, he told me, because I ended up getting cast as Effie, he told me wow. that the reason why he did that was because I was the only person who would fit the role. Not that I was capable of doing the role, but because I fit the role. Out of every person of color who was a woman in that class. And I just cried. So essentially he typecast you based off of how you looked and not based off of your talent. Exactly. So that's what... Um, and I'm not saying... every. Acting is really hard. People don't realize that. It, it, it's, it's difficult to stand there and be judged by how you are as a person without somebody actually knowing you. Um, and then that's how you book jobs. Um, it, it's part of the reason why a lot of actors are depressed and, and they go through like, you know, um, you, I mean, you could just look at the movie stars, right? Mm-hmm it's a reason why a lot of them have drug issues, how a lot of them have um, alcoholism that they can't get rid of. It, it, it's, it's a hard thing to go through with people telling you you're not good enough without knowing you as a person. Um, but then when they do get to know you, then they're like, Oh, I see what you're capable of. But in order for you to get to that point, you have to get past the part where they just do it based off of how you look. It's, <laughs> it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and you have to have a thick skin. Um, but I'm, I'm like going into all, all these different avenues, but I say that to say, you know, when I got out in the real world, um, I realized that I could not figure out how to balance working because I had to support myself in a very expensive city and still get my name out there to audition and stuff like that. So I got depressed. I was, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like my talent wasn't good enough. And I also felt like I needed to lose weight mm. um, in order for me to get booked for for roles. But at the same time, um, because acting and, and theater and musical theater is a never-ending training, uh, uh, how should I say, career. 
So you always have to be up on training. That means voice lessons, dance lessons, acting lessons, learning how to do um, audition prep. Like it's like, it's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I lived in a very expensive city, I had to support myself. My mom did as much as she could. And and trust me, she did. She went above and beyond. I love my mother. Um, But I could not afford to then take classes So I felt like because I was not able to take classes or continue like a a consistency in classes um, outside of school that I just was not good enough to book anything. So my mom ended up having surgery um, one year. So that's why I came back. I actually essentially came back about three times. But the first time was because I lost my job. I didn't know where to go. And my mom said, just come back home. So I went back home for about three years. Um, But I always knew that I didn't want to stay here. Even when I was a little girl, I knew that Akron or Ohio was not my place to stay. Mm. Um, But I was really only supposed to be here for a year, but I ended up being here for three. And it was very um, devastating for me. That was the first time I ever came back. That was devastating because I felt like I had failed. And um, so I then ended up going and, and taking some classes at the University of Akron so that you know, I could continue. I just did like regular stuff. Like um, I took some dance classes and stuff like that, but I ended up taking out more loans just to go and do something with my life. Um, yeah. But New York did, I'm oh, sorry, my school did not prepare me for what I had to go through um, after I graduated. But I think your story is a testimony to persistence. You went back and came back and People have those bumps along the road in their journey, and they often don't talk about them. They feel ashamed to talk about them. They want to talk about the success, but it wasn't the road to success or the road. I mean, success for you might even be greater than what it is now, but you had to deal with, swallow your pride and understand the limitations that you were experiencing were just of that moment. Go back home, you know, take care of your family, take care of yourself educate yourself, experience different parts of life, because for however many years you were so hyper-focused on this goal. But I think in taking those classes and having those other experiences and jobs, you grew as a person that, and that growth, you can then reapply to your goal. And so now you are pursuing your dream and you're in Brooklyn and you're, um, or in New York and you're experiencing some of the goals that you wanted to accomplish, even in those times where it seemed like you had failed. And so what are some challenges right now in pursuing performing arts as you see it? As I see it, it's just the lack of roles um, that are like me. Like I said, this business can definitely make you reevaluate your life and make you reevaluate you as a person and how you look and how you walk and how you talk. I mean, I grew up with very country, because although we're from Ohio, my family is from the South. (laughs) So I grew up with very country talking, um, no nonsense, mostly women um, who are very high strung uh, and very opinionated. That's how I grew up. But the way I talked and the way I acted and the way I spoke was not like that. Um, I have been called Oreo. I've been called, you know, oh, you're just talking white. I mean, I've heard all of those things. (laughs) I literally have heard all of those things my entire life. And um, although I take it with stride and I laugh it off, it can be a little hurtful. So when I go out and, um, pursue like roles that I feel like I could do, then I realize that other people don't see it that way. Um, They see me as like the Effies, 
yes, I can play Effie, no problem, but that's not who I am. Um, I don't speak that way. I don't act that way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can, I can, when you get me, when you get me there, I can, um, but that's just not who I am. I'm like a bright personality. I like to help people. I like to, I, you know, I want to talk how I want to talk. I want to sing how I want to sing, but there are no roles out there for that, for me. Um, I think it's getting a little bit better and people are, are realizing that, you know, black people are, they have depth. They have um, a little bit more going on than just that sassiness um, that we are portrayed as. Yes. So, um, so it's getting better, but I think it's, it's mostly the lack of roles. I don't know what to audition for. I have been in seven productions of Hairspray. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I kid you not. Um, And although I love Hairspray, I'm about tired of doing it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, and and don't also, here's the thing. I've never been Motormouth Maybell, who is the, the front runner of the black cast in the show she is the the mom and the one that does negro day um i've never played her role i've always played one of the three they call them the dynamites um but basically that's the the supremes of the of the show so they come out and they are always in three part harmony and, you know, they're mm-hmm. like singing together and then they always like are, have like this like sassiness to them. Um, I've always only played them. I've never played anybody else. So I think it's because I'm not old. Usually mama or uh, sorry. Oh my God. What is her name? Motormouth Mayhem. Usually. Oh my God, girl. Usually she's an older woman. Usually. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't. That is so interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you probably could recite those lines from heart yeah. now, uh-huh. having done it so many so times. But yes, I agree with what you're saying that if you look at TV or movies, um, there's this like one of three, there's always that best friend, black female character, and she always has to be. Um, maybe she's like the confidant or like the therapist mm-hmm. role that, but she, her character actually has no depth and those kind of like archetypes in performing arts are often replayed and just regurgitated in different versions. And um, I challenge people, if you don't, you know, if, if you watch a TV show and there's a black character, they might say, check, we have a black female character and we've accomplished diversity in this casting. But when you ask, like you look at the depth of that character, sometimes it takes multiple seasons for you to even get to the backstory of that character. Yes. If they even get there at all. Same thing in movies. Sometimes you have a whole character and you don't know anything about them except that they're the sidekick or buddy of the main few characters. And so that trend is being realized and hopefully it's being changed, but also people are taking things into their own hands and creating roles for themselves. We have um, producers and directors, people like Ava DuVarnay that are creating tables so that they can bring people a seat at that Uh table. But you're also, you also started your own theater company. So what brought you to starting your own company? Um, It happened about five years ago, um, just having the idea. Um, And it wasn't until about four years ago that I actually tried to make that idea uh, come to life. So five years ago, when I was back in New York and just wondering where my life is going to go, Um, as far as my career is concerned, uh, I did start, you know, doing some managing, some stage managing, um, and getting into, uh, writing a show, which I have done. Uh, so I just started looking at different avenues of what I would want my career to go. So I thought back and I was like, what was the reason why I got into theater in the first place? And I really had to do some soul searching, 
because I felt like I lost sight of that. And uh, I was like, oh, I remember. I just wanted to perform for the rest of my life and to inspire others to go after what they wanted. It wasn't a, I wanted to be on Broadway. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at the time I was looking at Broadway and this was, you know, like, oh my God, 10 years, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, when I was looking at Broadway, it was mostly white and people who did end up looking like me were on Broadway for maybe a year or two. And then all of a sudden you didn't see them anymore. So I felt like Broadway wasn't consistent enough for me to, to achieve in a way of because I wanted to perform for the rest of my life. Um, mm. You know, I did see the consistency in TV and film, even though the, the characters were the characters were what they were. Um, but I did see more consistency in that. I didn't see consistency in, in Broadway. So that's not what I wanted to achieve. And like I said, if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, I was okay with that. And I know a lot of performers are like, what? But Broadway's like Broadway. And I'm like, yeah, but Broadway's also predominantly white. So <laughs> if I have a job one year, what happens to the next year is my question. Mm, yeah. So, um, and, and and even just waiting, you know, there are people that break off, but the percentage of people that break off, like the Anika Noni yeah. and the, yeah, they, they are amazing. But sometimes like, like in every industry, you have those like three or four that are just recycled for every role yes. and to break out, have someone else break out. Should you have waited and not created a platform or a stage for yourself, mm-hmm. you would continue to be waiting yes. or continuing to just audition and, not be able to fulfill what you said at the core of your dream was to be able to perform for the rest of your life and to inspire others. And so having this company does both things that doesn't take away from potential to do Broadway. But I think sometimes people might have their eye to focus on a particular prize Mm -hmm. and they lose sight that what's for them might just look different than what is traditionally presented in society. Yeah. So that's why I decided about four years ago, you know, what is something that I can do to start this conversation uh, and to find a community where we would help each other, inspire others, as well as pursue what we want for pay? Because that's ultimately a big thing is that Not only do we want the roles, but we want to get paid for it. We don't want to have to just settle for doing it because of artistic reasons. Yes, that is a thing um, that happens, but I've I've gone through, and don't get me wrong, I've been in many productions, but I've only done it because of artistic reasons. It wasn't because I was getting paid to do it. Um... And that's a whole other thing too, having the confidence to go after a working, or sorry, a paying gig is a whole other thing too. Um, not only that, but also get paid for our artistry. I couldn't find a community that was like that. I could find, I could find a theater group that was, that had some of those aspects, but I didn't find it, find what I needed as a person. So I got a group of people together because I decided to do a documentary called Changing the Narrative and um, basically facilitating these conversations. Well, because I wasn't a part of the TV and film world per se, I didn't know how to go about that. But I did have a cast and we were, you know, all ready to go. But then I was doing this out of pocket while still living in New York City. Um and you know, not getting paid a lot of money because I needed a flexible job. So with that being said, you know, I got a group of like 20 actors and performers from all walks of life, ethnicity-wise, um, age-wise, as well as economic backgrounds. And we all talked for, it was like maybe 
three or four hours long of just talking about what we wanted to change, what we, you know, what we felt like theater doesn't do for us as especially minorities and how we have to conform to what they expect um, or what, what they have been doing for so many years. And we all came to a consensus that we just felt it wasn't right. Um, and, but we all were trying to figure out how do we go about changing it? And this was before this, the whole Black Lives Matter became a thing. Um, and we wanted it to work for the people who are not in the union. So the union helps a lot with their, helps a lot with their um, actors. And that's good. I love the fact of a union because of that reason. Um, because, you know, it provides healthcare. It helps with if you're having a hard time at the time. So it helps if, you know, you can dip into the actor's fund to help with bills and things like that. It's really great to have a union, but a majority of us are not in the union. So we don't have that, that backup. Um, so we're just figuring it out on our own. And I really just wanted a community that helps, that helps the fellow actors not and also the people who are backstage, like the people who are coming up to be stage managers, set designers, lighting designers, um, uh, even costumes, makeup, all these people that you see on Broadway, all those jobs had to start somewhere. And I wanted us to get paid for it. So I decided to start off by just from that conversation by providing an opportunity, by putting on our own production. And so we did. I decided to put on a show called Independence. Uh, it's by Lee Blessing. And it has a lot of themes in it. And I did it in college, so that's why I really wanted to do it. I wanted it to be our introduction. And like I said, at the time, I was just doing this on my own. So it was a all-woman show. Uh, only four characters were in the show and it had a lot of themes like um, the older sister was um, gay but she lived out of town and they all come from this small town that's you know like one stoplight in the whole town like that's how small it is um, and so she's like dealing with the fact that her mother who was also committed to a mental facility um, doesn't like the fact that she's gay. You know, she calls her partner, uh, you know, her roommate. So it's like, you know, dealing with that and then dealing with, um, and then dealing with uh, the middle child ended up being, becoming pregnant, but she was the one that was taking care of the mother after she got out of the mental facility. And then the mom tried to kill her. Oh so that's, gosh. that's how the whole story is set up is that they're coming back home and getting back together because the mom tries to kill the middle child. And then the younger child, I know, right. The younger child, she um, was held back a year so she's 19, still in high school, about to graduate. And she's the one that's like, I don't want to deal with this. You guys are crazy. Um, you know, I can't wait to get out of town. So it's just like about their family dynamic. They're also in this very small town called Independence, Iowa, which is actually a town. And, you know, so it's a double meaning as far as the the title is concerned. So yeah. I want, I really wanted to put this on. And I wanted it to be as diverse as, as possible. You know what's so funny? And I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to get a lot of people who are like, are you serious? But when I, I decided to direct it and produce it, when I decided to do this show and I put in the casting list that I am looking to diversify this family, I got barely any black actresses huh 
like literally. And I'm a woman of color putting on this show and I still did not receive a lot of submissions from people of color. Now, I also said that this can be as diverse as possible, not just by race, but by gender and by age. I barely got anybody of color. And going forward, um, because this is now a business, going forward, I see why a lot of theater groups are not diverse. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying this is the same for every single theater group or as to why they're not diverse, but I can see why a lot of people might not be. So there's this company that, um, this theater group that I actually still somewhat belong to, their name is um, After Work Theater. And they are the ones that, that really, um, help me to look on the inside of theater and, and the, what happens in the, in the background, like before anybody gets on stage or anything like that, they really helped me with that. Um, because they are, they were at the time trying to diversify their group as much as possible, but they are, um, they bring all walks of life, meaning like, you know, you don't necessarily have to be pursuing acting as a career because it's like a pay to play type of setup, um, mm -hmm. which I love their theater group and I'm all for it. So, you know, I did because they, they provide scholarships, they provide, you know, you know, things like that, like credits um, for shows you know, that if you want to sign up for another show. So it's not like you're paying a lot of money if you don't have it. Um, because there are different avenues that you can go about to be in a show and you don't have to be a professional actor. So, but seeing them trying to get people of color was an eye-opening experience. And I thought that I would be different because I am actually a woman of color and I'm doing this. But when I put it out there, it did not come. And I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea why. That is so interesting. So what would you say is the most rewarding part of what you do now? Oh my. The act of how I'm, set, how I'm setting up this business is, and like I said, we're in our infancy as far as a business is concerned. So um, I think the most rewarding thing is our fund that we're coming up with. So equity has this thing called the actors fund that I had talked about previously, and it helps people in need actors in need. Um, but you have to have certain criteria and a lot of people who are non-union cannot get that fund. Um, I want to set up something that's like that from donations. So people donating to this fund, um, half of it goes to the fund and half of it goes to um, paying our teaching artists that we would ultimately hire to put on this, put on, you know, um, or to teach different things. I think that that is probably my favorite my most, um, yeah, I think that's probably the one that I would say was like, I'm very proud of. Uh, we will be starting to, to put out the grant next year in February, um, to help just people who, who are actors and pursuing either they need it for rent or they need it for food or they need it because, you know, they need to supplement their income for some reason, um, or they may, may need it for um, headshots or um, whatever reason they need it for. Um, as long as they are actively pursuing acting, I'm really excited to just work with people and start to 
um, release those funds and come up with that. That is a cool way to, you know, you recognize that help does exist for um, actors, but there is that barrier of being involved in a union that so many people don't qualify for these different aids and funds. So you're creating a space and an opportunity for people that don't fit into that requirement. So now is the part of the show where I call roses and thorns. A rose is something great that's happened and a thorn is a bump along the road. So what is one rose and one thorn that you've had? It could be for whatever. Yeah, it doesn't have to be about acting. One rose that I've had has been my grandmother. She is, Mm -hmm. um, God rest her soul, because she's no longer living. But um, she has been my biggest advocate um, in my whole entire life. I miss her every day. Um, So I I would have to say her. And what's one thorn? It could be something this this past week, too. It doesn't have to be in the lifetime. <laughs> I'm like, that's a huge question. Um, I would have to say my biggest thorn is believing that I'm not worthy of people's help. So I never ask. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I'm noticing by actually coming out and saying that, you know, my company is a business that I am having to ask for help and having to ask people to commit their time um, for things that they get paid for. And I'm saying, you know, I, I know I can't pay you right now or I might be able to pay you this amount of money because I'm not taking any revenue this year for our classes um, or anything like that because I wanted 100% of that money to go to the teaching artists. So we're not making money as a company. And I'm realizing that the money that's coming out of my pocket is very limited. So I'm trying, I'm, I'm working my connections and asking people for help. But I realized that when I do ask them for help, I feel guilty. Um, and I feel like I'm not worthy of their help. And mm. that's the reason and why. You are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm learning day by day. You're providing value. Yeah, you're providing value to the community. So there are people that, I mean, there are people that give to cause all types of causes that they believe in. And yes, they might be an expert that can ask for a lot of money, but if it's something that they believe in or they're looking to give back or to help reinvest, I think you are a cause that's worthy of at at the very least asking, right? The the phrase closed mouths don't get fed is a popular phrase for a reason. If you don't ask, the answer could be no, but then the answer could also be yes and you eliminate the opportunity for that yes. So you're definitely worthy and um, I really want to thank you for sitting down and chatting with me. It's been really eye-opening to get this like insider view and your perspective on the performing arts and theater. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to share um, what's next, how can people connect with you and follow along on your journey? Um, so people can connect with me um, through... All Facebook, Twitter. Well, I'm not on Twitter that often, but Facebook, (laughs) Um, Instagram mostly um, at uh, Rayante Thompson. Or sorry, no, my Instagram connects to everything, but my Instagram is um, at Rayante T. That's R-A-N-T-E-A-T. You can connect to our uh, website for the company, which is emirproductions.net. Um, and uh, that's also a very funny story. <laughs> Emir is also my middle name. And Emir oh. means, yeah, Emir means um, prince or governor in Arabic. Although I spell it a little bit differently because you mo- they mostly spell it with an A. You can spell it with an E. So I decided to name it that way. So it's E-M-I-R productions.net and um 
yeah, I just am excited for people to hear this and to, you know, hear my story and the reason why I'm doing this. And yeah, can we have any classes coming up? Yes, we do. We have actually, wow, we have five classes coming up. We have two workshops and three classes. Workshops are more of like, you know, like an intensive with someone who is very well known in the uh, business. So one of the uh, workshops is taught by uh, Carissa Hoagland, and she is, um, or she was the understudy for Elsa on Broadway, as well as um, she took over for um, Veronica and Heather's The Musical. And she's been all over the scene on Broadway. She's going to be doing our uh, a workshop, um, as well as we have an audition workshop uh, taught by, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. How am I forgetting his name? <laughs> taught by, uh, this is so weird. <laughs> wow. He's going to be like, what are you doing? How could you not remember my name? Like, how is this possible? Cedric Hill. Wow. By Cedric Hill. Um, he's been in the business, TV, film, um, he also owns his own production company. He has been in the business since like 1980s. Um, so he's very well known. He actually also was a co-founder of the Working Actor Studio, which is a very big um, school in New York City. So he's he's come on with us as well. And um, our three other classes are we have a peer-to-peer audition prep, um, a acting through song called Beyond the Notes, and we have a character analysis class. Those will be going on for 12 weeks. Um, so that'll be more of like a consistent class. The three classes are starting September 1st. Um, the 12 week program is starting September 1st. And our workshops are actually starting um, the middle of August. So look out for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. Wow. She had that idea of that company for five years and she finally took that leap. Make sure to check out the information in the show notes about her theater company, the workshop that she's hosting starting September 1st, and how you can apply for the grant that will be released in February should you be an artist that would like to benefit from it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you haven't already, please leave a review so that other people can find this podcast and hear more amazing stories like Rayanti's. Have a great day in your amazing story.